Hey, everybody. I am here with Remute, who is somebody I am a huge fan of. I have pretty much all of your albums, and I'm very excited to be talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So uh, I believe you're in Germany, correct? Yeah, I'm in Germany. It's um, late evening here and um, perfect time. Because yeah. that's the time I always start making music. I'm a night owl. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I I, just, I don't think I have a time whenever I get up, whenever my wife gets up and I just start working immediately. But it was a little early for me, but I'm still going to, uh, I'm going to open up one of these. I discovered this at a local shop. Um, Very how good. How do you say that? Eyinger? I think this is beer from Bavaria and I think it's uh, Eyinger. Eyinger. It says Germany, product of Germany. Yeah, I, I see. Eyinger Dunkel. Dunkel. Dunkel beer, it's good beer. Yeah, well, it's it's authentic Bavarian dark. It's a uh, it, yeah, dark beer. It's pretty good. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> I um I asked the person who worked there for suggestions for dark beers, uh, and they had said this one, and I didn't look at the price tag, and I think these are like four dollars each. So I wanted to save it for a fancy special occasion. I couldn't think of a better one than right now. And what a terrible right. pour! Oh, I think I let down all of Germany. I'm so sorry. I usually <laughs> pour better than this. Damn! Cheers! <laughs> Cheers to you, my friend. Oh, now I got foam. Cheers! It's my fault. Hope I get foam in my beard as punishment. <laughs> let me uh, stick this one next to my window to get colder. Perfect. All right. So, um, there was a whole bunch of stuff I was going to ask you about, except <clears throat> you told me that you have an announcement that's going to be coming out the same day that I had planned on releasing this interview. So uh, I guess I'm getting an exclusive scoop here and I'm gonna have to keep my mouth shut until, uh, until it airs. But would you want to start out by talking about this secret new project that's about to be released? All right. For 2022, I'm gonna drop another three albums. Three. Because uh, I think trilogy is a good, a good thing. (laughs) And, um, of course, it's going to be cartridge albums for another cool consoles out there. And um, I'm happy to announce, I think you're the first person, actually, I've been, I will talk about this. And uh, you're the first you're going to hear. And so the first album uh, next year, it's going to be for Nintendo 64. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's going to be called R64. And um, <laughs> love it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be released in March, late March. And... Um, Pre-order starts now, today, I think, December 27th, when you release it. Yes. And yeah, this is my first announcement, so and this it's going to happen. very exciting. Well, now I finally have an excuse to turn on my N64 other than to just make make videos about it. This is exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what's it like to, to write music for the N64 compared to the other consoles that you've done? I think it's pretty similar to uh, writing music for the Super Nintendo, probably, because both consoles work with samples. They don't have uh, own synthesizer capabilities, like, for example, the Mega Drive or also the Game Boy. Um, They are kind of um, samplers, actually, where you have to load external samplers and um, write the music in trackers on the PC. And so it felt pretty familiar to me because I, I also released an album on the Super NES. And um, so the Nintendo 64 felt just uh, very, it was pretty easy for me. That's pretty cool. Um, so I guess let's just step back. And what made you first want to do um, an album on 
on a cartridge on an original console? Like what, what gave you the idea? Were you always a gamer or is this just something unique that you wanted to try? Yeah, I've been a gamer since my earliest childhood. I think uh, my first console, if you if you're gonna count it as a console, was the Commodore 64 mm-hmm. home computer, and I got this from my parents when I was five year old, and so I've been a gamer since um, forever, <laughs> and um, so I always wanted to make music on the consoles because I always liked the unique sounds of the consoles. You see, uh, uh, Commodore 64 has a SID chip. Uh, Game Boy has a unique sound. A Mega Drive has a full-blown uh, FM synthesizer built in. And so I was always fascinated by the unique sound capabilities of these systems. So, And um, I always wanted to write music on it, but um, the technology wasn't just there. Uh, and so I, for my first records, I'm releasing music actually 20 years now on um, various labels. And um, in the beginning, I was just sampling sounds from, from games here and there, but I wasn't able to make music on the console. So this was just um, getting possible in the last um, few few years with the arrival of software like Devil Mask, for example, for Mega Drive and... Um, little sound DJ for Game Boy and um, directly communicating with the console is a thing that um, that um, that made my um, cartridge albums possible. Mm, that's very cool. So um, you said you've been doing, you've been releasing albums for 20 years now, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think almost I, my first record came out in 2002 on vinyl it was a single release and yeah it's been almost 20 years now yeah. that's that's incredible so what um what was that like recording then versus now because i know myself um i've been i remember recording in the early 90s with like one of those thin pc microphones in front of my guitar amp going into gold wave that program that i used to use because it was free um, or freeware or shareware actually uh, so yeah. from then till now, my recording has changed so much. And I, I just do guitar. I don't I don't record any other instruments. So I can't even imagine how much different it would be for somebody that, that does the, the full album, the full scope. Yeah, I think a lot, lot of things changed. Um, when I produced music before my cartridge albums, I used... Um, standard uh, digital audio workstations like um, Ableton Live or Reason or um, also Fruity Loops. I think it was called Fruity Loops mm-hmm. uh, back then. And um, so uh, it, was, it wasn't a different production technology than somewhere else. Uh, it was just uh, standard stuff. And um, I've recorded my first albums all on digital audio workstations, of course, with some outboard equipment um, here and there. Probably you can see some some of my synthesizers in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like to use some some analog stuff, like, for example, the Oberheim Matrix to spice up things. And um, because the software sounds so perfect always. Uh, and I always need something to sound not so perfect to have to kind of have kind of uh, uh, well-balanced mix between old sounding 
devices and perfect sounding new technology. Yeah, that's such a hard balance. And the last album we recorded, the producer was a singer. Um, and he's a very good singer and he's great to work with other singers. But as a guitarist, I came in and I was so excited, like, oh, I'm going to go to a real studio. So we're going to be reamping my guitars and I could, you know, I could try to get it to have that real sound to it, not that digital cleanliness. And he went through and sure enough, yeah. he looped the vocals through an external analog processor to make it sound more, more real, less processed. And then he loaded up a basic plugin for my guitar. I went, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, aren't we going to do something more analog? He goes, yeah, I have the heat plug in. It puts fake tape noise on it. You'll be fine. And I'm like, I was, I was <laughs> distraught. I was so depressed about that. It's, it's a, it came out great, by the way, but it doesn't sound like me. So it's like if a singer yeah. sang a perfect album and then another singer came in and recorded it the same way, it's, it's not them, though. It's a different, you know, it's a different sound, even though it was me playing. So... I, I know the struggle that you're talking about and it's like, it's such a triggering topic for me because I'm always trying to get analog sound, but with the ease of digital. So I don't have to yeah. do, you know, cause for a long time, people, I, I don't need to tell you everybody else listening, but for a long time, if you got a perfect performance, but your mic was, you know, one centimeter off centered, you're going to stop and do it all over again and hope that that in the moment thing that you improvised comes back the same way. And nowadays plugging directly into a computer and then reamping it, you can yeah. get the best of both worlds, but it's hard and not a lot of producers want to do it. So uh, it's very cool to hear you say that you loop some of your stuff through real analog equipment to be able to get that effect yeah, through it. Definitely. I, I always like the kind of, um, how to say the dirt that it produces. The eighties technology has some, some, pretty different um different uh, kinds of um processing audio and uh, you definitely hear the difference and um so i like to mix it with um newer stuff yeah and you know i'm going to be jumping around a little bit here so you know please excuse me both you and everybody listening but we're talking about analog sound in one of the um special edition packages of one of your albums you included a cassette and I had just gotten a Nakamichi cassette player, and uh, I, I don't have the best speakers at the moment, but I, uh, it was an album. I think it was the Genesis album, correct? Yeah, I think it was the... Techno Optimistic. We're talking about uh, the, the Stone Age Gamer Special Edition here, yeah? They included a cassette tape. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I had listened was... to that album quite a bit. I used your yeah. songs with your permission. I used it in a bunch of my videos. I, I really I love a couple of the songs off of that. And when I popped the tape in and listened to it, it 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 was just as good, but totally different feeling. And I thought it was so neat to hear that analog noise on there. Was that something that you created special, or did Stone Age Gamer just record a bunch onto cassettes just as a, a fun thing to do? It was actually Stone Age Gamer's idea, and uh, I I've been pretty. It was a pretty interesting idea because they re-recorded the album on a cassette tape and. Um, as you said, it, it changes changes the sound to to way uh, to way more analog sounding um, mix, I think. So because the whole album, of course, is it's 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 on cartridge and it's is fully digital, it, it gets generated by the the sound chip of the Mega Drive. But when you play it back from a tape, the whole sound aesthetics changes, and uh, that makes it pretty pretty interesting. So I think it was a pretty unique neat idea by Stone Age Gamer and I'm happy they, they did it for me. 
Yeah, and that goes back to the your other albums that you release on Bandcamp digitally as well as on these different platforms to purchase on original to play through original consoles because yeah. that's something where you know, if I just if I want music on in the background as I'm working, sometimes I just go to your Bandcamp and turn it on cuz it's easy and I want to be lazy, but um, of course. <laughs> uh, Christoph, the designer or co-designer of the DC Digital and N64 Digital and uh, uh friend of mine, awesome person, also lives in Germany outside of Cologne, I believe. When he was in New York City, uh, I just happened to get Techno Optimistic around that same time, and he wanted to hear it. So we put it in through a Sega Genesis with the triple bypass through um, just a Denon receiver and some ELAC speakers. So I didn't have some big fancy analog stereo, but yeah. it was a noticeable difference. It was great hearing it processed through the Genesis, hearing hearing the hum bleed through into that sound that made it feel warmer in a way that you know those plugins that that people use that you know that fake analog sound they're not the same they're absolutely you know they're not bad but it's not it's not yeah. the same and, yeah. you know it, it's always such an experience to to listen to those and, totally totally i think every every kind of electronics have their own life so this is probably also the reason why i called my Game Boy album living electronics because i really think electronics are alive and um they are pretty unique in their way processing the the signals and um so definitely every device has its own should have its own unique um sound aesthetics yeah and for the game boy album i listened yeah. to it uh i have a, a modded game boy but i don't have any of the sound mods i know there's a lot of people that put better quality sound circuitry yeah but mine's uh recapped it's in great condition so i listened with headphones the um they're kind of more flat headphones that i use for mixing the audio technica but they're, they're not bad at all and yeah. i liked it a lot but i also for fun after i was done listened to it again just through the game boy's crappy little speaker and you know, it, it was another weird and neat, neat experience. Now, I wouldn't recommend that that's the only way people listen to it, but hearing the music come through the speaker just made it feel like you were listening to a Game Boy. So it was so cool to, yeah. to, to have yeah. to hear the differences so striking like that. Definitely, it was an album that was made for Game Boy. I actually also wrote it on a, on a Game Boy. Oh, wow. During this summer, uh, I've been I've been writing this on Little Sound DJ, LSTJ, and um, the whole album was made sitting outside and uh, and enjoying the, enjoying the sun. I think it was made during the summer, and um, so it's definitely meant to to get listened on crappy speakers because <laughs> I think that that's the fun thing, that's the fun side of it. That's very, very cool. Yeah. I like that. Um, so out of the, the consoles that you've you've recorded albums for, did you have one experience on a console that stood out? Um, you know, did you just decide, wow, it was so much more fun to write for a Sega Genesis than the Super Nintendo? Or, or you know, is there is there a preference or, or are they all just unique experiences? Um, yes, I think they are pretty unique in their ways of um, handling sound. Probably Super Nintendo and now N64 are quite similar because of the samples, but um, in the way of preparing the music and writing the music, they are all quite unique. And um, some are more fun, some are less fun, and um, some are more limited, some are less limited. But um, 
Would you be able to explain a little bit about why? Because I know there's a lot of uh, gamers and musicians that, that follow yeah. the channel, and I'm, I'm sure they would love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, all right. So let's probably choose the Super NES as, a, as an example. Um, you have like uh, 64 kilobytes of sound RAM. Uh, this is the space you have for all samples in a song. It's like um, you have to be very um, focused on ideas and choose the right samples for a song. And um, uh, it really it really forces you to, to put very uh, lots of effort into shaping an idea because um, 64 kilobytes are like nothing. You have to use also very short samples. Uh, let's say... Uh, when you have a keyboard sound, you can't just record the whole keyboard sound in it. You have to first you have to compress it, then you have to short it, and then you have to loop it because um, to um, to save some storage space because um, the sound RAM is very limited. Uh, but but once you you've managed to um, to think in such small um, dimensions you can have really interesting um, ideas in the making because um, when you're getting forced to strip down ideas then the idea have to be very strong and you have to have a very strong songwriting idea uh, that that is able to survive all the compression and all the cut downs and um, it's a really kind of test for an idea if it's if it's able to to survive the whole compressing process, then it's uh, it's it's okay. <laughs> if not, then um, forget about it. That, that's and pretty so, neat. And when and you say so, you're creating the samples that fill 64 yeah. kilobytes, so is yeah. this? Uh, I know this might be a bad analogy, but to to visualize it, is that mm. kind of like saying I'm going to take 64 kilobytes worth of samples total, so each, mm, and then total, load yeah. them up to like a color palette, so that when you create songs, you choose from the samples that are available after you've loaded them. That's a good analogy. Uh, that's a good, uh, a good analogy, because um, you have to prepare the samples in advance. Uh, I do this on my computer, and um, there you have to compress them. There you have to short them, and then you import them into the Super NAS actually. Hmm. And um, so it it all has to get very well prepared before you even can start with making a song. And um, so the Super Nintendo doesn't have any um, synthesis capabilities on its own. Because of that, you have to import everything from different sound sources. It's like um, all uh, Super Nintendo sounds from my album are made by my uh, by my vintage synthesizers. You can see here. Um, I think the Super NES was mostly made with uh, some old Roland um, sound modules. And um, so I recorded the sound of these sound modules and then um, had to compress them down to a format that is uh, capable of being loaded into the Super NES. Hmm. Yeah. So when you wrote the music for the Super Nintendo, did you write it first on like keyboards and then come back and say, okay, well, I'm going to translate that into samples and then rewrite it again on the Super Nintendo? Hmm. Um, well, I think so. Yes, with, with my sample-based albums, uh, I think I created most songs beforehand while jamming live with my studio setup, and um, 
I have a lot of jam sessions here and uh, I, where I just um, turn on the keyboards and try some ideas. And then um, if there are good ideas, then I probably record some sequences for later and come back to them. And so, yeah, I think the Super NES album and also the N64 albums all came out of jam sessions. Very cool. Yeah. And um, do you do you mostly write like that? Or when you have another platform like Genesis where you're using the sounds that are available and generated by the chips, do you then write it differently? Or is it just whatever you're in the mood for? Yeah, I think the, the Genesis album was pretty different in its approach uh, because um, I wrote this exclusively in the Devil Mask tracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a tracker from a very cool team, uh, multi-format tracker. And so the Genesis album was an album that was made completely inside of this tracker. That was a really different experience for me to write an album, uh, <laughs> to write an album in my head first and then transfer it into um, events and informations in the tracker and um so yes, the, the Genesis album was very different in its approach. Do you do you have a hard time remembering when you write an album in your head? Because if I come up with a really good riff, if I don't grab my guitar, put my cell phone on a table, and play it in front of that cell phone, that riff is gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. That happens, of course, also to me. But um, working on the Genesis album really helped to... Um, to memorize things and also to to build things inside my head first, and that was something I I wasn't probably so um, so able to do before that. And uh, so the Genesis album was really a kind of um, learning experience also for me, and uh, that's why I also chosen the Genesis for for being the first cartridge album because that was something completely different than I was doing years uh, before Mm. and um, when doing the Genesis album I think it was in 2019 yeah it was in 2019 uh, I really had the urge to um, to reinvent my remute persona completely because I was a bit fed up with the techno business and um, I really had to do something new and so the Genesis album was really a unique experience that's very cool. So, um, what? Where do you take your inspiration from? No matter no matter what it is that you're writing, whether it's techno or whether it's the uh, the consoles, are you one of those people that's like a sponge that just sucks up everything around them, or do you do, uh, do you do things intentionally to get yourself inspired to write? Well, I think um, I'm. I definitely have a lot of inspirations from from the outside world and also from. Um, Mostly from technolo- technologic themes. Uh, I think I'm, uh, I would call myself a geek, <laughs> born geek. And uh, I've grown up with, uh, with various technologies, with video games, with synthesizers, with computers, with home computers, with um, electronic equipment. And um, so I always say like uh, electronic music is like the, the folk music of the computer freak because um, I see myself as a, songwriter in electronic ways and um i'm kind of communicating with my electronic equipment every time i like that i like that a lot that's a cool saying 
Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it, once again, I'm just going to be bouncing around whenever whenever you say something that that, spy, right. you know, that sparks a, a question. But do you ever run into writer's block for for creating music? Because um, that, that's something that so many people I know, including myself, run into where you'll write, you know, you'll be on a streak where you're writing songs and you're writing riffs or lyrics and everything's going great. And then you just sit down one day and you got nothing. No, it's just, you know, does that happen to you? Of course, that happens all the time. And um, these are periods that um, can last for a couple of days, but can also last for a couple of months, in the worst case. And um, throughout my almost 20 years of music making now, I had various um times where I wasn't able to create anything and um, I don't know how I'm getting out of this it's it it just happens <laughs> I'm just lucky to get out of this um, mostly in a couple of days but um, yeah writers blockade is it can happen also to me yeah that's uh, a <laughs> yeah. you know for me it was mostly friends so sometimes like i had to do a project yeah. so i would just force down some terrible riff which would then kind of like get the yeah. cobwebs out and then i would go back but it's mostly friends like uh, a couple of years ago i was all bummed out because life wasn't going the way i thought it would and i just said oh maybe i should just stop playing music maybe i'm getting too old or something and I mean, almost a year went by and a friend of mine, I think he did this on purpose, by the way, but a friend of mine said, hey, I need you to put a guitar track on this over this drum track for me. I said, all right, what's it for? He goes, oh, just just do it. Just try it. And I said, all right, well, I got to get in the mood. And a couple days went by, a couple more days. And he said, hey, did you get a chance to do that yet? You know, I really need it. And I said, all right. And I sat down and I turned on the because I the one thing I always do is I don't listen to anything somebody sends me until my guitar is plugged in and I'm ready to record because I don't want to forget any ideas and I want it to be fresh. So I yeah. got everything plugged in. The drum track went on. And I'm going, all right, this is neat. I don't even know if I could do this anymore. And then all of a sudden I just started playing and I wrote the whole song. <laughs> it was just he just inspired me with a really great drum riff. So. Yeah, it's it's always a kind of mysterious thing to get out of these um, these periods of like um, doing nothing, and then suddenly you have a spark, you have an idea, and then you're back again, back on track. And I, yeah, really, I'm really grateful for this um, periods of getting a lot of inspiration easily because I know these. Um, periods when nothing can work at all and so um i had these periods a couple of years ago where i wasn't able to write anything for months and uh, i just started buying new synthesizers and new softwares and uh, it didn't help <laughs> <laughs> and um so the way out is definitely not buying new equipment uh, so <laughs> uh, but i think the way out it just happens. You you can't trigger it. You you just have to wait, I guess. And um, it's a mysterious thing. Yeah, Renee from DB Electronics, who makes those uh, the amazing circuit boards that uh, people make Genesis cartridges on, he does that. He you know he'll yeah. get a new piece of electronic gear that will force him to make more music. So he re he built an amp from scratch. He built a couple of guitars from scratch, and that that the creation of that inspires him to play music, but. That doesn't work for me. If I got yeah. a new guitar, I would I would sit there, I would get it all tuned and 
play a couple songs, and then if I wasn't in the mood, it would sit there next to the rest of them. <laughs> Definitely, it was it was just like like this for me. I, I bought brand new synthesizers and turned them on, and um, nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> So definitely it's it's not a matter of equipment for me it's it's more a matter of um a mysterious thing called inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> you know one yeah. of the things that um that I I assumed and you know please correct me if I'm wrong but having the limitations of what the consoles can do be, even though it's a limitation that must be inspiring in itself because it's you know it's like uh um I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, but the um, there's a guitarist. I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna feel very stupid for forgetting his name. A very famous guitarist from Rage Against the Machine. Do you remember him? Uh, I, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. But he said that when he was a kid, he and all of his friends went and messed with every amp and you know guitar center and played with all the knobs. Mm -hmm. And he got his amp home and he spent all day playing with the knobs. And finally, one day, he just said. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to spend more time creating a sound than I am creating music. So he put like tape where all of the knobs were like drew on it. And he said, that's been how he records all of his music from rage against the machine all the way till now is he has that same amp for when he was a kid with the knobs in the same place. And he, he says that limiting yourself like that, that's what kind of made him look into other directions. And that's what made him do some of those crazy effects because he never messed with his amp again. So when I started listening to your music on cartridges, that's what that reminded me of. Tom Morello. How the hell could I forget Tom Morello? <laughs> that's his name. Yeah, yeah, Tom Morello. But yeah, when I first right, started right, listening right. to your albums yeah. on cart, that's the first thing it reminded me of was, you know, did that limitation force creativity as a result? Absolutely. I think the limitation made me like uh, reinventing my whole reboot project. I, I always say like um, the techno-optimistic album for Sega Genesis was the beginning of Remute 2.0 because before that I just recorded music on vinyl and CD and digital and um, I came to a point where where I did everything already and uh, uh, wasn't able to come up with something new anymore and um, that was a time when the writer's blockade came in and um, and um, limiting myself to to um the sound capabilities of old consoles really helped me to to um to go somewhere else with my music and um especially on the sega genesis where you have to more um be a music programmer than a musician mm. it really helped me to redefine remute that's very cool so at the moment you have albums out on sega genesis Turbo Graphics, PC Engine, um, Game Boy, and N64 coming up, uh, Super Nintendo, and am I forgetting any? PC Engine CD. PC Engine CD. I, that's, you know, I don't think I had listened yeah. to that one, because I wanted to listen <laughs> on original hardware, and nobody I know is a working <laughs> PC Engine CD. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think people have duos, though, so I should probably borrow those and and uh, and kind of see, you know, hopefully recap, because you know how those duos can just fall apart over the years, but... They are really temperament. Uh, they have temperament, and uh, they uh, they are not very reliable. <laughs> and so um, 
I was really happy to to see the announcement of the analog duo because uh, a lot of uh, the old turbo du turbo duos and other uh, CD consoles are failing at the moment and um I also had some failing CD consoles when I worked on the PC Engine album. So I actually had to buy three before I get one that works properly. And um, especially with CD consoles, it's um, the lasers are worn out, the, the drives are getting old, and um, it's not fun, I think, with CD consoles. And um, it was pretty hard work to to. Uh, initially, I thought like working on a PC Engine album, PC Engine CD album will be a very easy thing because the music is uh, uh, is just CD audio in this case. It's not a uh, chip tune like, uh, for example, Genesis or or, or Super or Super NES. It's just CD audio. But um, making this all work on the PC Engine CD was pretty hard in the end because we had to um we had to program everything for this single speed cd drive yeah because um it's a very slow cd drive and you uh, if you overload it then everything crashes and um i think it was a pretty hard work in the end that unexpectedly unexpectedly i wouldn't have thought of that that's pretty funny so that was actually going to yeah. be another question i asked is when you're listening back to these to, to check through and, uh, you know, as you're recording and creating, do you listen back through emulation or on original hardware or a mixture of both? Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm, I'm first, I'm always aiming for the real deal for the real experience on, on real hardware. That's why I also, why I just try the music on uh, real hardware before I release them. Everything gets tested, of course, on real hardware. Um, but some of my albums work pretty well in emulation, too. I think the Super NES album works flawlessly. Um, the Game Boy album works okay in emulation. The Genesis album doesn't work properly with most emulators because I think the FM sound is a bit is not so perfect in all emulators. I think there's one emulator that that emulates it perfectly. It's it's, it's called Blast. I was just M, gonna I say, think. I bet you it's Blast. M. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is the one that that really uh, emulates it very well. But uh, the the clone consoles based on emulation, like Mega Drive Mini or others, they uh, they pretty much fail in playing it back, unfortunately. And so, um, not all of my albums work. 100% in emulation. So this is why I really recommend um, running them on real, real hardware. I've also tested them on, um, on Mr. And I, you yeah. know, I obviously don't hear the same things you do as the creator of these songs, but uh, it, it was very, very close. And I think the only thing it might've been, yeah. I think the biggest difference, much bigger than accuracy of the emulation is that it's very clean sounding because you don't have the, you yeah. know, the old 1980s circuitry. So, uh, but I, I was very impressed with that. And I played it through the analog mega SG and that seemed okay as well. Definitely. I think all the FG, FPGA based solutions, um, are also very good because, um, they are, um, almost the real deal i think yeah you can call it like this and um they have this very clean circuitry not the old 80s 80s 90s circuitry and um 
so I think in the case of the Mega SG, it's um, it's a pretty hi-fi um, solution playing back my album there. And um, I heard also from a lot of people buying the Analog Pocket right now that um, my Game Boy album sounds pretty clean there too, hmm. and um, which is a good thing because I think, in the especially in the case of a, of a Game Boy, you have um, older Game Boys where the speakers aren't that good anymore or, or something else. And um, so having this clean circuitry, this clean, authentic circuitry, FPGA-based, and um, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Cool. So um, have, you, have you messed with the Sega Master System at all and considered creating music on that? Uh, I've been messing around with... Um, PSG-based systems like the Master System, of course. Uh, in Devil Mask, Devil Mask also can make music for Master System and Game Gear. Um, but I think so far I didn't came up with anything because even for me, PSG-based solutions are maybe too limited because um, you cannot... Uh, in my case, I cannot... Um, I cannot come up with the sounds I have in my mind with only the PSG possibilities, but that maybe could change in the future. I'm not sure, but right now I'm, I don't think I can come up with something. Well, I recently interviewed Maxim, who is one of the um, people who's always contributing and working on SMS power. And her name came up in the interview because he said that Sega master systems, there's one BIOS on, I, uh, I forgot, it was probably one model of the Japanese Master System that accesses the FM sound chip and the ah, PSG right. at the same time. And he said he thinks yeah. it should be able to, you should be able to do that with homebrew stuff as well. So I said, I wonder if that's something that you'd ever discovered. So I'll um, I'll send you the documentation in case, you know, you never know. Ah, Maybe that's the, uh, the spark for inspiration that uh, that you would need for that. Yeah, I definitely know that there were some um, Master System releases that used um, additional FM chips. Uh, I wasn't sure if they are built in into the cartridge, like a kind of expansion kit, or or there are Master System consoles out there that have FM chips. I'm not sure. Probably some Japanese models. Um, so I'm not sure. Um... It's. I'll, I'll be quick about it because uh, you know this isn't the podcast about the master system, so I don't want to take up too time. But yeah. I, I do like the console a lot. But it started out definitely. definitely. Yeah, it started out as the Mark III, and then an yeah. FM sound module was sold that plugged into it. So the, any game that was created that was allowed to access that would just automatically do so. And then oh, okay. the, once the master system started to gain more popularity a new version was released in Japan that kind of sort of looked like the U.S. and and U.K. version, you know, the Mm. long, wide, Mm. you know, Mm. triangular, you know, wide pyramid-looking one. And that came with the FM sound chip built on the motherboard. And uh, that's the one that, you know, it's the easiest way to access it. And then after that, there's been mods available to, to add that chip into your other consoles. And, of course, with the FPGA stuff, you can access yeah. it there. But I'll uh, I'll see uh, if okay. I have any friends in Japan that can get you that one model. And I'll, I'll see if I can have that sent to you to see if that's what does it for you. <laughs> I never say never. It's a very interesting system. I, I've been a very um, avid Master System player, too, and I really like the system. And um, 
if there's something possible, why not? I never say never. Cool. Yeah, I'll send you that after we're done. I think that'd be, at the very least, I think you'd appreciate that that Sega took the time to do that for just a silly yeah. demo. But uh, sounds very cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there other any other consoles that you've been thinking about trying to write music on? And uh, you know, you you've gotten most of the major ones, at least cartridge based, of course. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I I like the. I mostly like the consoles that have their very unique uh, sound chip. Like, for example, um, coming back to the Sega Genesis, it has a FM sound chip where you can really hear the difference uh, instantly. Instantly, and um, so all the modern consoles, when you when you look at the PS4, or PS5, they don't have any sound chips anymore. They just uh, play back sound files, and so. All consoles sound the same today, which is a little bit, um, yeah. This is a missed opportunity to to make um, a console unique because uh, back in the day you ha- you really could recognize a console by its sound. When you hear at the super, when you listen to a Super Nintendo or listen to a Game Boy or listen to a Commodore sixty four, even you initially instantly could hear that this is this uh, system and. Um, so I'm really interested in making music for systems that has these uh, unique sound capabilities. And uh, so, as you said, I really had the major consoles. I, I made albums for all major consoles, but there are still some consoles out there, some some obscure consoles that uh, are still on my list. And um, But this year, first, I have albums coming up coming up for N64 and then also for Game Boy Advance. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is something I, w- I wanted to do for a long time because the Game Boy Advance is also very interesting and quite similar to a Super Nintendo, actually. And That's going to be uh, such the, a challenge because the Game Boy Advance yeah. hardware, audio hardware, is, is pretty terrible. Yeah. So to, to, yeah. to work under yeah. those <laughs> confines, that, that should be pretty interesting to see what you come up with. Yeah, yeah. The Game Boy Advance is a has sound hardware that has to be, um, yeah. That has you have to provide the samples on your own, similar like uh, like for the N sixty four and for the Super Nintendo, because it doesn't have its own synthesis capabilities. You have to just um, fill it up with sounds you made somewhere else, and um, so it was a very, yeah. <laughs> interesting experience making music for it but um these albums are all finished and um in production now and as i said there will be three albums in 2022 first is for the n64 uh, second for the game Boy advance and uh, last but not least uh, for the dreamcast oh cool also, yeah are there yeah. any limitations to dreamcast or is that just you can play back cd audio um, the Dreamcast album will be based on CD audio. It will be more focused on, um, yeah, on graphic demos this 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 time because I, I've teamed up with a very cool guy from Germany, um, Duranik. He made the shoot 'em up Sturmwind. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know it. Mm-hmm. It's a very famous shoot 'em up, and um, was a pleasure working together with him on this album and. Um, so the Dreamcast album, it's it's quite. Um, <laughs> there are no limitations to music there. It's limitless, <laughs> limitless, and uh, it's it's 128 
it's, <laughs> it doesn't have any limitations. That's pretty cool. And, um, yeah, you know what you yeah. said. This, these are my plans for 2020. Yeah, that's very very exciting. And, and what you said <laughs> about a lot of these consoles having a, a very distinctive sound, even with Super Nintendo, even though you created the samples and you put them on there, the moment I turned on the album, you just you know it's a Super Nintendo. It just has that that sound to it. So I, it is kind of cool, you know that. Uh, the only other, you know, ma- Master System mostly, but Sega Genesis definitely, Super Nintendo definitely. I could just tell right away, and NES yeah. as well. Have you ever created any any music on the original NES or Famicom? I'm also working on some NES music. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the NES, but um, I didn't came up with something substantial right now. I have to get more into it. But as you said, it has a pretty unique sound and um, you instantly can tell this is the NES and um, this is what makes these consoles so interesting. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I wouldn't necessarily expect an album, of course, if you if you would like to, awesome, but it would be very cool to hear your interpretation of things like the Famicom FM sound chip that was not available in the rest of the world and how you could take yeah. your songs and, and make them you know sound different on both and i think also any collector that loves retro gaming would love to buy a famicom disc system version of even just one of your songs <laughs> i think that would be a neat thing that i don't think anybody else has done that so um you know at least you still have uh lots of possibilities if you want to keep doing this and do it unique and not not just put out cool music but put out unique cool music i don't think um i think you have a lot more possibilities and I don't think you could. You don't have to slow down anytime soon if you don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to slow down. The journey is never over, and I'm always into the next thing. When I finished finished one thing, and um, I like to dive in into into um, new possibilities and um, explore, explore, explore. <laughs> so, what's your some of your favorite music to listen to? Um, and do you you know do you hear any any traces of that in your own music? Yeah, um, myself, of course, I'm listening to a lot of um, music and um, maybe in the background, a small part of my record collection. Yeah. I really like to to um, listen music from vinyl. I like to buy old, obscure vinyl. I like um, 80s electronic music a lot and um, also contemporary electronic music. I, I, I listen to, to everything, not only electronic music. I listen to every music and um and try to um translate these inspirations into my own language and um so you you said before like i'm kind of kind of like a sponge that sucks everything up uh, that definitely sums it up <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know it was funny for me because i had there was one breakdown in one of my songs where i played it for my cousin who he and i have seen without exaggerating at least 100 shows together probably a lot more than that growing up we loved music and we both loved the band in flames and i played him the song and he yeah. goes oh that's cool i like it i said well what'd you think of the middle he goes oh it was a really cool breakdown i went did it sound like anything else? He goes, not really. I said, I kind of, <laughs> after I recorded it, I feel like I ripped off this this riff from this song at this point. And he goes, I love that song. And no, I don't hear that at all. So it was weird to me because like, I, I thought that I accidentally stole it. And then I had other people come back and be like, isn't that a riff from a heart song? I'm like, 
now <laughs> I think it might be, I guess, sort of, I don't know. Like, so I just, I stopped thinking about it. I, you know, I don't intentionally steal anything. And uh, if something of mine sounds similar, it's not intentional. Cause every time I thought maybe it did sound similar, nobody else agreed. So I was just like, you know what? Then I'll call yeah, it my yeah. music. So whatever. That's uh, that can happen. I think the subconscious is, is, uh, is definitely like a sponge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good analogy coming back to it. And, um, it, it happens all the time that you get inspired by by some stuff you you're hearing you're experiencing and um, this is just something deeply in in your subconscious um, for me it's it's the music the techno music of the 90s the club music of the 90s because I've went so much clubbing and um, raving and partying and uh, uh, definitely some inspirations um, were stuck in my mind and um, so I don't think it's a bad thing to get inspired by the past and um, as long as it gets translated into your very own language and into your very own vision I think it's very legitimate yeah you know I I listen to a lot of electronic music from the 90s as well and it's funny because I've always loved heavy metal I feel like I was born with it in my blood but I also listened to everything I loved rap growing up I loved a lot of good pop music too Uh, but there were two albums in the 90s Robert Miles Dreamland and um, Faithless I think it was Faithless I just I listened to those all the time And, and also Aqua Whenever I did acid, I would always listen to Aqua. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were on acid when they wrote that main album. I don't know, but uh... I think so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's just—it's always funny. And then you hear bands like Rammstein, that like heavy industrial music that also has so much of that electronic yeah. music into it, and it blends. Yeah, they blend it so perfectly together, and they light everything yeah, on fire, very... which is always cool too. <laughs> They are burning when they're playing. That's pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I think it's very important to don't have any boundaries in your mind when you um, when you are into music. Exactly like you said, you can like heavy metal music, you can like techno music. And I, I think it's always pretty terrible when people say like, I just listen to techno and everything else is uh, bad. And, um, and I think it's you really have to dive into music as a whole if you if you love it and um get rid of all these um boundaries that were created by by the industry probably only by the industry but also by the communities as well because also by the community yeah, one of the yeah, things yeah. about heavy metal music was a lot of people just yeah. loved the music but a lot of people never fit in and then they see a couple other kids that don't fit in so they just say okay well Mm. if i wear a metallica t-shirt and converse sneakers and you know uh grow a mullet in the 90s then you know maybe i could fit in as well and you know they they now joined a tribe so you can't turn your back on the tribe you can't listen to rap music we're heavy metal people and i've always looked like this i don't really give a shit what anybody else thinks of me so i I never felt the need to to blend in like that i just I listened and, and kind of did whatever the heck I felt like, but I understand why that that happens, and I think it, in many ways it's a very very good thing because that kid with the heavy metal T shirt or that kid with the you know the techno T shirt you know that 
that that might have been their their outlet as a as a kid growing up. That might have been what they really needed. So I try not to look down on it. But but I, if you're an adult and you say yeah. something like that, I don't want to have a conversation with you. It's totally fine to say like this is my favorite music. But if you're like I listen to nothing but classical music and everything else is garbage, it's like well then you're closed minded and I don't want to talk to you. So <laughs> yeah, exactly like you said, closed minded. And um, so I really like it when when different. Um, styles of music blend together and um this is something that that's really interesting for me to um to see that that uh, that i have a lot of fans that uh that uh, who are only listening to heavy metal that now are listening to to my electronic music and this is uh, something that that really makes me happy because i see that um that music can um transcend these boundaries and um Absolutely. And a lot uh, of your music touches speech. that same um touches that same spot in your ears, I guess, is the best way that heavy metal does cuz yeah. you have you have power Maybe, yeah. and melody that mixes together. And then some of your songs, especially on the Genesis with those very distinct sound chips, you have this grittiness to some of them that comes through. So it sounds like a melodic heavy metal song in many ways, even though to a casual listener, it, look, it sounds nothing like a heavy metal song to, to yeah, a fan. Yeah, yeah. It triggers the same emotions, you know, has that same power behind it with the melodies. And so, yeah, I'm not the slightest bit surprised that you have a lot of heavy metal fans. <laughs> so, so when you, when you, analyzing it you can say like my music is also metal music because it gets played back on metal parts <laughs> <laughs> i love it and, uh, so and um yeah that is cool um have you ever tried to to do just a weird and crazy experiment like make music through a toaster or, or something i'm being a little bit silly but like stuff that can generate sound that's really not at all meant to do anything like that have you ever messed with anything crazy I'm try definitely I'm trying this all the time because um I like um to take some old electronic devices like for example um VHS recorders or um or old tube amplifiers that were used for um for nine, uh, for for some some old music equipment and I really like to modify these um electronic devices to get out some some glitch sounds of them you know like um when you are um modifying some circuitry and some um some gear you can get out some very interesting sounds and you can record them and and uh, continue using them and this is something i doing all the time when i'm on the hunt for interesting new um experimental sounds i like to modify electronic equipment um Especially with VHS recorders, this is something I've been doing like uh, since I I was a little child. I was modifying them and breaking them. My parents were very happy when I was breaking VHS recorders, but this is something I was doing like forever. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's very cool. <laughs> so um, how do you normally listen to music when it's time to sit and listen? Obviously, all of us, you know, we're busy throwing in some Bluetooth earbuds when you're walking to the mm. store. That's totally normal and cool. But when it's time to listen to music, not time to just have something playing, how do you normally do that? Headphones, speakers, what equipment? Like, Or, or do you even, mm. do you have a setup that you go to when, when you want to do that? Mm -hmm. Well, when I'm listening to music, I I prefer listening to them from from vinyl. I think this is my 
my preferred format because uh, I'm a heavy vinyl collector and uh, I like to buy some some old stuff, especially on vinyl. And then I put the record on on a Technics um, record player and listening th through them on some very <clears throat> excuse me some very old um, uh, some eighties amps I have here in my room and. Um, this is um, this is my setup. I just um, sit in my chair and listen to music, and uh, not not so much on headphones. Uh, I just I like to listen to the music loud in my room and um, enjoy it very loud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I lived in New York City for quite a while, and before that, I was in another city that was close to it, just smaller. And so for a long time, I switched to only headphones like these audio Technicas. Yeah. And I had a pair of Sony that I don't know what happened to that. You know, not only would I listen to music that way, but I would play guitar through a setup where it would all go through those speak or those headphones. So I wouldn't bother all of my neighbors. So, the, you know, one of the things that I'm so excited about now that I moved to the middle of nowhere is that I'm working on building a stereo with two very nice bookshelf speakers. More on that. That's going to be retro yeah. gaming related too. I'll have some info on that soon. But And I haven't done it yet because I refuse to try it out until it's ready. I want the right speakers. I want the right amp. But I'm building myself a listening station so I could do exactly that. So for me, it's just you know headphones or the car, unfortunately. But I'm really looking forward to having something where I could sit down and, and just enjoy nothing but music, you know? Definitely, definitely. I also think the the room is also very important where you listen to music. It's um, it just makes so much for the sound. When um, my speakers are pretty old, and but they they kind of um, blend well together with my room. I'm listening music, and I I I will never exchange them. They're they are now I think they are now thirty years old, and uh, I have them since since I've been a kid and. Um, I'm using them also for for making all my music on the same speakers. It's like a, it's a kind of marriage with my speakers, yeah. and um, uh, I will never change them. And I hope they um, they survive a lot longer. You know, that, that's a very good point because, and, and you know, the room also like the vibe of a room. Like, I'm not sure if you could see, but like that's like I got my CRT ah, nice collection TVs. there. Yeah, so like I'm working on yeah. getting a good vibe in this room, but. As far as cool. as far as listening in the room, like I have a set of Elac speakers, and when I lived in the city, yeah. I had these two cheap bookshelves. But for some crazy reason, those speakers inside that bookshelf, the audio reverberated through them and into the floor, so that it sounds so much better than in my living room now. And so now I'm trying to think, yeah. like, well, how do I get the sound to distribute through this room the way it did just a, a small apartment in New York? Do I need bigger speakers? Do I need those giant floor standing? What if I mount it to the wall and have, you know, so it's, uh, I, I guess I'm marrying nerdiness and music at the same time, but I'm uh, you're 100% right in that I'm trying to get the room sound. And unfortunately, I think upstairs, I'm not ever going to be able to hit that. I think it's just going to be for watching TV. And I think this room, I'm really going to have, especially because of all the stuff in it, I think this is going to be the room that sounds much better. So yeah, you're totally right. I think so. I think, I think so. It's also, it also matters how, how full the room is of, of stuff. If you fill it up, there's a lot of uh, stuff to resonate in my opinion. And, um, that makes up for good sound. Uh, 
in this room where I produce my music, I, I, I filled it up with a lot of records and a lot of equipment and lots lots of stuff in here, <laughs> and, and PC game boxes. And um, there's a lot of um, yeah material to resonate with, which which is probably pretty good for the bass frequencies, mm. in my opinion. And um, I had the experience like um, if you have a very full room, then it's good for the sound. Yeah. I think that's probably the issue because I, I, my apartment in New York city looked like that stuff floor to ceiling. And now that I moved to the house, all that stuff spread out. So it's look, the rooms look empty. So I think this very full room might be the only one that actually sounds the way I want it. I think the TVs uh, are pretty good for, they will resonate pretty well. (laughs) You know, what's funny though, is um, those ELAC speakers, uh, a friend of mine actually got me a new pair as a housewarming gift. And I put them in this CRT rack and I turned on one of the CRTs and half of it was purple. And I forgot that speakers aren't shielded anymore because you don't need to shield them in yeah. front of flat panels, which is why I'm going down a very crazy path to get some good <laughs> shielded bookshelf speakers for that. But that that's why that's the last piece of the puzzle for this room. That and I want to calibrate the record player before I use it because somebody said, you know, you should do ah, that. Okay. But... Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice, but really nice TV collection. Really. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cool stuff. <laughs> so you know that's actually vinyl records. That's that's something I wanted to ask you about because you release a lot yeah. on vinyl and you you have a very cool collection there. So when you're in the mastering process, do you do that completely different, knowing that you know these files are going to be put on vinyl and these are going to be put digitally and these are going to be put on a Sega Genesis cartridge, or is, do you mm, just kind of nice. let the format decide for you? Yeah, there's definitely some points you have to be aware when producing for vinyl. Um, the the N64 album that is coming up will also have an additional uh, vinyl. You have like kind of um, uh, a plus edition where you can purchase purchase also a seven inch vinyl along with it. It has two songs from the album, especially mastered for vinyl, uh, because you really have to be very um, aware that, that vinyl is pretty different than or di- than digital formats. You have to um, be very careful with the bass frequencies. You have to make some frequencies mono. You have to um, be very careful with um, the fine tuning. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely another mastering process involved when doing stuff for vinyl than um, doing stuff for cartridges. Yeah, definitely. And so um, it was very important for me to um, to also provide some songs from the N64 also for vinyl, just to have to have this difference. And uh, who, yeah, it's a kind of additional item if people like to get the vinyl. It it will be pretty limited. I think only hundred vinyls will be made, and um, so yeah. Yeah, the seven inch, a colored seven inch vinyl along with the N64 cartridge here. I remember we didn't get ours mastered because it was driving me crazy that every single thing that I listened to it on sounded totally different. And then uh, Mm. we ended up not doing vinyl. So I just, we got it as close because, you know, I still didn't get the guitar sound that I wanted. So we got it as close Mm. as possible. And uh, I just kind of let the formats decide. But if I had gone vinyl, I absolutely would have spent the extra money. And in fact, there was somebody locally around New York that still has the analog mixing boards and the analog mastering boards. So the version that they yeah. would have done for 
vinyl would have been completely different through a completely different set of equipment. Not not just the settings, but the equipment they were going to use was different. But I said, maybe I'll do that in the second one. And then it's six years later and I haven't finished the second album yet. So <laughs> Definitely. It definitely sounds pretty different on vinyl because, um, as you said, um, I also go been going the route for, for mixing down all the channels and some analog outboy equipment and um, you really can hear the difference in the end and if you're not too careful uh, with uh, mastering then it sounds completely different than your um, initial song but um, pretty happy with the vinyl mastering now and um, I think it's a nice additional item for the N64 album Agreed. and, and now that I'm building my setup I'm going to be buying the vinyl versions as well as the uh, just the cartridge versions Cool. <laughs> um, one last question for you. So, uh, and I, I might be wrong about this, but you've released all of these albums on uh, all of the cartridge albums, and I think you've released the ROMs for one or two. But have you considered? I mean, after you know, after your pre-order period's over, after you've sold the cartridges, have you considered putting the ROMs up for sale so people with ROM carts who want to use original hardware but don't have the space for for extra stuff could just do it that way? Definitely, I considered this, and um, as you said, I, I'm already selling the ROMs for the Mega, for the Genesis albums, and for the Super NES albums. You can purchase them on my Bandcamp, and um, for my other albums, well, at some point there will be ROM releases, of course. Yeah, yeah, there will be some ROM releases, but um, for now, I'm concentrating on the cartridges because a lot of people like to to have it on cartridge and have to and um, buy buy it for their consoles. And so I'm focusing first on cartridges. Yeah, it, it makes sense. You know, it's the full. You get yeah. the real unique experience out of all of it. So I, I would do the same thing if I were in your shoes and concentrate on that, and then swing back around eventually to, to release the ROMs for people who want to buy it that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, probably at, at the later date, there will be some some ROM releases also from the Game Boy album or the PC Engine album. And um, yeah, I never say never. And uh, so yeah. every time I've gone to listen to your music on Bandcamp, I think almost all of your music's available just to listen to there, right? Yeah, you can. Um, every, everybody who's who's purchasing my music through Bandcamp also gets uh, download codes to digital versions of the album. You can just uh, download um, audio files there on Bandcamp, which were recorded from the consoles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you don't have the consoles or don't like to listen on a console or whatever, you can just download the audio files from um, Bandcamp. Um, you get the audio files for, for free, of course, when you purchase the cartridge, yeah. And um, so this is what I'm doing with all my albums, that um, um, this is a service for the fans that they also get audio files along with my albums. That's very cool. And and how about streaming? Because I, I just, I go to my, my D drive and click on the remute folder. That's how I play most of your music when I want to. But did, are they available for streaming for people that want to listen to it first before deciding if they want to pick up the album or not? Yeah, you can you can of course also stream it for free on Bandcamp. Okay. Yeah. But you can also stream my music on Spotify and others, yeah. I'm also featured there. And Do you um, have a preference? So, Do you get like picked up in the Spotify algorithm if we all listen there or something like that or does it not matter? <laughs> 
Well, personally, I'm not that huge Spotify fan, to be honest, because um, I think the technology is still quite sloppy and still quite laggy. And um, I'm not a Spotify fan. I'm maybe I'm too old school. I'm a vinyl fan. I don't know if I'm um, no <laughs> if I'm the right person for for um, talking about these modern music listening technologies. But um, I don't. I don't think that I will be very, I don't judge people how they listen to my music. They can listen to my music however they like. And um, I provide uh, many ways of listening to my music. And if you like to listen it on Spotify, okay, go on. If you like to listen them on the Mega Drive, fine. And um, so what I can say is the most authentic experience is um, popping in a cartridge into the console and turning it on because um, this is then the most authentic sound you can you can get out and this is also the sound which which I was aiming for while producing the album and mm. so uh, if you want the real deal then um, listen to it on real hardware so that's exactly what I thought you would say and I, I, maybe I, mi- I worded my question wrong but in in the scenario of like I'm out with a couple of friends and I say, Hey, have you heard Remute's yeah. new album? No. Oh, let me throw on a song real quick to see. So if you have to stream it, is there one that helps you more than the others? Cause I, I also personally ah, have a very yeah. huge problem with Spotify CEO walking around with hundreds of millions of dollars made off of the backs of broke musicians. I don't like that <laughs> either, but if listening, if in that scenario where you just want to stream it real quick, if listening yeah. on one platform does better for you than another, then that's what I would prefer to listen to it on. Ah, I see. I see. Of course, yeah. Spotify makes me makes me some sense. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you if you fire it up on Spotify, um, yeah, some some money is definitely made on Spotify, and um, I'm not complaining because Spotify is not my main f- focus and. Um, as you said, uh, it's really weird that the CEO of Spotify is going home with uh, hundreds of millions. Uh, it's a very weird uh, story, but um, I don't care that much because Spotify is not the platform where where I'm happening. Yeah, yeah it's not like Stone Age gamers yeah. going home with millions of dollars from selling your cartridges, so... <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I think they're very fair. So I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think all of us would, would rather support you that way directly through your cartridges. But I did want to ask the question because there's just so many times where it's like, you don't have the cartridge, you, you know, maybe you don't have the song on your phone. So that's a, right, so in that right, case, right, I guess right. the answer is Spotify, but if you like it, buy it and, you know, don't make the Spotify CEO money, make the creators money instead. <laughs> I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you for doing the N64 reveal on this. I feel very honored to be uh, to be part of this release. Yeah, you're the first. You're the first I've been talking to about That's it. That's very cool. Yeah, so um, I will have links to absolutely everything in all of the descriptions so people will be able to get to you right away. If they're on their phone and they don't have the ability to buy the cart, you could do the Spotify link. But if you're at home, look, uh, pick up the cartridge and uh, I'll continue to cover your work. And, and all of us will on retro rgb because we're all fans thank you thank you very much thank you very much it was a pleasure and um thanks again for having me and um thanks for your ongoing support and um thank you